1: Offer valid on select AK systems sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh?
0: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah.
2: And some waves. So we could go surfing.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I mean.
1: Ah, ski slopes, let's
0: do it. Um, tenor girl goes shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait.
1: Did we just invent California?
0: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
2: Welcome to Special Teams, a production of iHeartRadio. Inside Special Teams with Jason Smith and Mike Harmon, a podcast that looks back at some of the special teams in sports history, what they were able to accomplish in an individual year in sports. Part of our run we're on right now is we're looking back at some of the special teams that took place in some of the biggest sporting events of all time in the middle of a big NFL run right now. We're going to look back at a play that just celebrated. It's... 25th anniversary not too long ago. Uh, How did it make you feel? We kind of have to do it. Well, you know what? It's been 25 (laughs) years. I've had time to get over it. Uh, But we're going to look back at the fake spike game, also known as the clock play, but the fake spike game in which Dan Marino turned the fake spike into a Cult play in NFL history by driving the Dolphins down at the end of the fourth quarter in a game in which it looked like he was going to spike the football to stop the clock, but instead he throws a touchdown pass to Mark Ingram. The Dolphins beat the Jets and the fake spike
3: game, and it's legend. <laughs> Is born, <laughs> and your blood pressure, as you said, no, that sentence was you. just raised, and I can see the vein popping out of your head. I'll tell you, it's okay, buddy. You know, it's not often you get a mid-season game that you know you're going to say,
2: "Boy, what a game!" But look, this play was huge for both teams, and it actually affects the Seattle Seahawks and and the current uh, oh, in college football, pro yeah. football, oh, on we, so many levels. This game had a lot of influence on NFL's future. Uh, so as we Describe, as I do it, gritting my teeth, the Dolphins-Jets. Dolphins win the game 28-24 on the fake spike by Dan Reno and subsequent touchdown pass. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. How did both teams get to this point, week 12 of the 1994 season. Well, the Jets had gone 8-8 and under Bruce Coslett in 1993. They had to win the final game of the season against the Oilers to make the playoffs. The Oilers had given up, right? They weren't starting Warren Moon. We're going to start Cody Carlson because this game, if nothing at stake. The Oilers are going to the playoffs, and the Jets lose 24-0. 24 to nothing. They don't show up. I knew when I saw Rob Moore in street clothes right before uh, kickoff, I said, Oh this this is this is not going to happen. This Yeah, back gonna, before you had
3: all happen. the insiders giving no. you injury and and illness updates long long before. This was all right, now we're taking you live. You're like, "Wait a minute. Wait, what?
2: <laughs> it was such a disappointing end with that horrible effort that they mm-hmm. had, you know, with, with the playoffs on the line. I was so disappointed. So were the Jets cuz they fire Bruce Coslet and replace him with pete carroll hey pete carroll getting his first nfl head coaching job with the jets and look pete carroll was bringing young enthusiasm to the position and remember the big controversy he had uh had uh while coaching for the jets was he had made the big choke gesture when pete stoyanovich missed a field goal for the dolphins in a game and cameras caught him doing it and he kind of had to apologize for it because Ah stoyanovich choked but hey as a head coach i liked it you know Pete Carroll was, you could tell he had something about him when he gets the head coaching job. He was a little bit different. He wasn't the, hey, we're going to hire Bruce Coslett and Joe Walt and all these other guys. No, he brought that youthful energy and enthusiasm to the team. And we started out pretty good. You know, we're six and five, and we're going into this game against the, the, Dolphins playing for first place in the AFC East because the Dolphins were seven and four and the Jets are playing at home. And I'm thinking, hey, we're in a pretty good spot right now. We're playing for first place. And Pete Carroll's been done a pretty good job so
3: far. That's all you can hope to be is in the mix, right? In the first year of a regime, especially with a coach who didn't have the long track record of success. This wasn't a, hey, former Super Bowl winning guy, everything wore thin. So now here's his new challenge. No, Pete Carroll's still... A rising name, but not a guy that was an automatic, certainly not the Pete Carroll we talk about here in 2020. So being in the mix to have a playoff potential is absolutely huge. So the Jets are going into this game
2: led by Boomer Esiason, in a quarterback who they had gotten from the Bengals. Johnny Johnson, and Adrian Morrell were the big running backs for them. They had Rob Moore, Art Monk. People forget Art Monk. All these guys the that I
3: think of in other uniforms. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. Every last one of those guys. Because you say, Morrell. Cardinals Cardinals You yeah. say Boomer Bengals yeah, Bengals uh, <laughs> And we had Ronnie Locke Obviously And we had Ronnie Locke Yes Yeah I mean Yes
2: This is the Jets team right you know, Look Boomer uh, Boomer was someone Who when the Jets got him I was thinking Okay this is going to solve Our quarterback issues And he played pretty well For the Jets I mean we're going to talk About this game And he's a big part of it But I remember being excited And then I remember thinking Okay we got to get rid of Boomer Like it went like from, hey, Boomer's great. (laughs) Now we got to get rid of Boomer. Uh for the Dolphins, they come into this game feeling pretty good because Dan Marino had missed the entire 93 season with a torn Achilles. It was or, or most of the 93 season with a torn Achilles. You know, uh he comes back in 1994. The Dolphins play well. He throws three touchdowns to beat the Jets in week three. I mean, they were rolling. Bernie Parmalee and Terry Kirby were okay enough at running back. Their wide receivers were Irving Fryer, Mark Ingram, OJ McDuffie. They were really solid. Coming into this game, though, they had lost two in a row. They lost to the Bears. They lost to the Steelers. So they're 7-4, and four, and they need something to go right because this is the first-place showdown against the Jets. But still, this is a pretty talented Miami Dolphins.
3: Yeah. When well, you go top to bottom, and this is where you still had, you know, the receiving core, uh, getting after it for Marino, the offense. It's like we talk about with college football a lot, right? You're, you're facing an offense that does things that you're not going to see a ton on the schedule. I mean, it's still most teams are run predicated. I mean, look at your Jets numbers with Boomer for the year played in 14 games. He had 17 touchdowns. And that wasn't out of the norm, right? We talk about the annual, you know, exploits of Hall of Famers like, like Troy Aikman and such. They weren't throwing 35 touchdown passes. You weren't winging it around. And so here's your big spot and you've got Marino back and everything's recovered. He was a statue anyway. Offense is clicking, just needed the defense to rise up once in a while.
2: You know, and this is one of the biggest rivalries in the NFL. The Dolphins and Jets hate each other. Look, when Marino retired, or or not in Marino's final year, they needed the Jets to... Win the final game of the regular season and they won. And they asked Dan, Hey, did, would you thank the Jets for a win? He like shook his head like, like you just asked him, Hey, can can you loan me five million dollars? Like he didn't even want to give the Jets any credit. These two teams hated each other, right? I told you about the Stojanovich. It was actually an extra point that Stoyanovich dinked, uh, and Carol makes the choke sign. They can't stand each other. And for me. I can't stand the Dolphins as a Jets fan, but I wouldn't have been that upset if Bernie Parmalee had a big game. So it was my first year of doing fantasy and I had Bernie Parmalee on my team. I mean, he came out of nowhere. See, there's the old battle. It was my first year. I'm like, boy, I I really want to win this game, but I wouldn't be upset if Bernie Parmalee played well. I'm like, oh boy, you know, something that every fantasy player goes through at some point when they first start playing and it's my favorite team and I have a player playing
3: against them. But I was so excited. I used to get in arguments with, uh, football players all the time over that stuff (laughs) be like you can't be a real fan and play fantasy and i would always use this argument all right i'm from chicago i'm a bears fan stipulate to that yes yes what do i hope if i'm a fantasy owner i know brett Favre is throwing for 300 yards and three touchdown passes right yeah so i draft brett Favre, and you know what i hope happens they lose a shootout every Sunday, <laughs> so as soon as they have a good defense, that's when I back off my Brett Favre, and maybe I, I've got a guy that's just on par with him in my rankings, and I go the other way. But it usually diffused things. Sometimes it would get me an expletive-laden response, and they'd storm off. So
2: good times, <laughs> uh, dude. I tell you, I was so excited because Bernie Parmley was like the third running back I needed. And I'm like, oh my god, he's he ran for almost a thousand yards. He came out of nowhere. Right? He almost had a thousand yard season. I was like, yay, Bernie Parmalee, Bernie Parmalee. So I would have been excited if Bernie Parmalee had a big game. Instead, I get the fake spike. So that's what that's celebrating yeah, that's what Bernie
3: Parmalee. There we go.
2: So coming up next, the drama that surrounded the fake spike, and there are some absolute insane things to think about when you look at the plays surrounding the fake spike. What happened before? What happened after? We got that coming up next right here on Special Teams. I feel like I want to... Fast forward, Mike, and, and get just get past the fake spike. Like I'm building up to it. And we're gonna build up to it. There's a lot of stuff to <laughs> talk about. Like, okay,
3: we just get to the fake spike already because it just gets just the get to spike. it. Oh to, yeah. my goodness, because uh, you know it's there, right? It's it's you love yeah. all the different parts of a book or a movie, but you know where the plot turns. Oh, I know because you know, know you got to get there and yeah. you got to work through it. And this is one where I mean, you really got to work through it, buddy. I, I know it, it cuts you to the quick. All these 25 years later,
2: the Jets actually started start out big in this game, and they race out to a 17-0 lead, right? Brad Baxter runs for a touchdown. Boy, he was a touchdown vulture for the Jets. Uh, Boomer Esiason throws a touchdown pass to Johnny Mitchell. This is back when Johnny Mitchell was going to be the next great tight end of the National Football League. They trade touchdowns. Mark Ingram catches a touchdown from Dan Marino, uh, and the score is 17-6. to then Mitchell catches another touchdown from Esiason. So the Jets are leading 24-6 in the third quarter. Meadowlands is rocking. I'm thinking, oh, we're going to be in first place. And then, of course, it all falls apart, which is how it works for the New York Jets. <laughs> uh, Marino throws another touchdown to Mark Ingram. They get a two-point conversion. And this is when Boomer Esiason starts giving the bleeping game away. All right, everything is still fine. See, you see my blood boiling on this? Esiason. I can see it. I, I can oh. feel it rising. You were going to go, Serenity now. Oh, man. Uh, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Uh, <laughs> Assayasin gets picked off, throws his first pick of the game. That leads to the third Marino to Mark Ingram touchdown, which cuts the lead to 24 21. All right. Jets still have the lead. They're driving. Then mm-hmm. Assayasin gets picked off again. For the second time, but the Jets
1: force a punt.
2: Okay, everything is okay. We have the ball less than three minutes to go. Everything is fine. Isiasin is picked off again with two and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And this begins the Dan Marino drive. He gets the Jets all the way down to the eight-yard line with 38 seconds left in one timeout. You've seen the play a hundred times. He tells the team clock, 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 but he throws the touchdown to Mark Ingram, the fourth Marino to Ingram touchdown of the game, 28-24 lead and the win. All right. Now yeah, there's yeah, many- but look at that drive. Smith. Uh-huh. I mean, Why? Look Why do you have that? to look at
3: the drive? Why can't we just seven not of eight, drive? 84 yards. They go down like, like a hot knife through butter uh, and just uh, complete, complete, not taking huge chunks here. When we're talking 18, four, 14, three, eight, Uh, Keith Jackson, uh, you know, was in the mix there as as well uh, a little bit earlier in the possessions. But Irving Fryer, I mean, your big chunk yardage was a pass to Mike Williams. No, not Mike Williams, if you're Los Angeles starter. Not that Mike Williams. Not that Mike Williams, nor the uh, former wide receiver tight end uh, from USC. Uh, But the big play, 22 yards. Otherwise, it was an awful lot of Mark Ingram uh, that you're looking for over and over again. And the ageless Irving Fryer got that whole thing started. Uh, Seven of eight, man chunk chunk yeah chunk. yeah no no i
2: get it no no i get it. don't forget oj chunk. mcduffie caught a pass too yeah no yeah uh... a
3: little early for oj mcduffie it, is, but, it is he would he would then
2: you know step into a bigger role in later years um now here's here's where this play gets a little bit i don't want to say it gets a, the jets get a worse rap for it than they do but first of all how about this 38 seconds left to go in the game the the Dolphins are on the Jets' eight-yard line, and they have a timeout. And the Dolphins are thinking clock. I mean, just think about how insane. Can you see a team with 38 seconds left to go in a game, and they have the ball on the opposing team's eight-yard line? They need a. They need a. Uh, you need to score, and they have a timeout. And they would think about clocking the ball and giving away a down. You, but this is the way the NFL was. It wasn't, you know, to the precision of, hey, teams can get up to the line of scrimmage and spike the football in five seconds like they do now, which is something that, look, that's what Tom Brady and the Patriots never got as much credit for they were able to do, is of all the big things Brady's done in his career, the way how fast he would be able to get the Patriots up to the line of scrimmage and spike the football, only a couple of seconds coming off the clock. But this is that era where, okay, let's all right, 38 seconds. Well, let's, 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 uh, let's get some time to figure out the next play. Let's let's think about clocking the football. Cause this is a normal play. Teams would get yeah. up to, you know, 40 seconds left. Let's do all right, hang on. We don't know what's gonna happen now. So let's make sure we clock the ball and give up a down. I mean, it's in it's crazy to think that's the way it was back then.
3: Yeah. I mean, whenever you're in those types of situations and look, we see some crazy stuff on play calls all the time. You and I, Monday and Thursday nights, there, how many times do we just have this awkward moment of silence going, what is he doing? <laughs> I don't understand. And certainly clocking, uh, is, is never in the thought process when you've got that much time left and you never want to leave the extra play right either get to the field goal unit or you've got time and opportunity with timeouts and others to stop the clock that you do it uh and set up your best play here uh it it just took everybody by surprise obviously which is what it's intended to do thank you bernie kozar uh but for the general football flow i mean it's it's something that I, I want the master's class uh, on the down distance and hey, you know what? Every once in a while, you got to play that wild poker hand. And that's what we <laughs> saw here.
2: Uh, so the Jets kind of get a bad rap on this play because the way this play is presented has lived over the years. It's all oh, look at Marino completely fools the Jets defense. No, watch the play. Marino fools some of the players, but. Marvin Washington gets his hands up, almost gets his hands in the way of the pass. He's playing the snap right away. He's not fooled. Paul Frey's defensive lineman is a half second and a step away from nailing Marino before he throws the pass. So it's not like everybody gave up. The Jets still had half the team to, okay, something's going to happen on this play. And Aaron Glenn is in coverage on Mark Ingram. It's not like Ingram just ran by him and Aaron Glenn is standing there. Aaron Glenn just happened to run to cover Mark Ingram, and he was, wasn't was facing back towards the quarterback, and Marino throws the bullet into the touchdown for Ingram. So it's not like the Jets all got fooled by this. I mean, another half second, or if Aaron Glenn's a little bit tighter on coverage, Marino can't throw this pass, he gets hit, maybe he gets sacked, He gets, or he fumbles. Doesn't mean they wouldn't have wound up winning the game anyway. They probably would have. But still, it's not like the Jets all got fooled because you watch this, and, and they had to execute this pretty fast because the Jets still had a few players who were jumping on this play. Well,
3: they were actually offsides, too. Right is <laughs> the the funny thing in the play as you you break down every man and you know we do our count of how many are on the field and all these other things you know they they defended uh, they they just got beat good strategy good execution by Dan Marino we'll give him credit for this one right since he's always the <laughs> uh, the head of the list of best and never have won mm. uh, sorry second year appearance yeah, never got yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks he, for that. He buddy. still had a good yeah, run. I feel, I feel bad. I my heart bleeds. I, I well, feel... this is now one of his crowning moments against you. I mean, if you were to roll tape on his finest moment, I mean, this could be it.
2: You know, and Marino, uh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. This is Marino's, I mean, look, 48 touchdowns, his second year, you know, rookie year in the league, or second year in the league. Second year, And then this, you know, you had this. It was, I mean, he threw for, you know, 360 in this game and four touchdowns. And it was, you know, not saying Dan Marino isn't a Hall of Fame quarterback, but I always say, look, Marino's a top five quarterback, and we we see how great he is and how well he played. But if he doesn't have this game and doesn't have this fake spike moment, is he as widely looked at as hey Dan Marino is one of the top 5 quarterbacks in the NFL this game meant so much for his legacy because it was it, it's the like you said it's the moment you look back at you can see all the passing titles all the yardage everything else but boy the fake spike game in the year he came back from injury. He won the NFL comeback player of the year. Dan Marino was still Dan Marino, still had a few more really good years left in him. I don't know without this game, people say, hey, Dan Marino's one of the top five quarterbacks of all time. He's a guy that puts up a lot of yards, but this is always the highlight you see the first time you see Marino. It's him doing the fake spike and zipping that touchdown in.
3: I don't know that that's the case without this. No, you mentioned it. It's a lot of yardage. We talk about empty stats. Pick your sport. Right. NBA players who are just scorers. You shrug NFL quarterbacks now that pass for 5,000 yards. You are four. I mean, look at Jameis Winston in the 30 30 year. Or go through how many other quarterbacks who've gone over 4,000 yards, piled up a bunch of stats, but their team six and 10 NFL record books and the box scores are full of them. Fantasy football titles for a few of them. I'm sure guys getting drunk uh, and having big meals uh, because of the success of their quarterbacks there, but it's a lot of empty stats. And for Dan Marino, you don't want to go to that end with it because it's still you still appreciate the arm and his capacity to to move the ball and make plays but they didn't get over so you need a play like this and the veteran savvy or whatever term you want to throw on it to help build that legacy and legend
2: now and just to to give you a, a an idea of marino's Career here for the rest of the way Uh, His first four years in the league Were incredible right he throws 20 touchdowns When he comes in as a rookie and then The next year it's 48 30 and 44 right Marino looks like he's going To be unstoppable well he Threw 30 touchdowns in 1994 This year it was the only Time he had done that since 1986 he had never Again hit 30 touchdowns In a year 1986 all the way to 94 30 touchdowns Never threw for 30 touchdowns again. After 1994, never threw for 4,000 yards in a year again, something he had done five times earlier in his NFL career. So while he still had pretty good years, they weren't, boy, look at Dan Marino. No, he never really approached these heights again. And look, he played in big playoff games. He was on TV all the time. Look, as I said, I think he's a top five quarterback of all time. He was so high profile. But without this, do the rest of his numbers really jump out? He only made uh, the Pro Bowl one more time, you know, in 94. He made it in 1995. You're talking about a guy that made the Pro Bowl in his career, 94, 95, 91, 92, and then 83 to 87. So clearly the last half of his career didn't really measure up with the first half.
3: Yeah. In the end, you, you don't want to diminish and, and reduce a career to a couple of moments But we always ask for those signature plays and signature pieces to a player's career, particularly when we're putting them on these goat and Mount Rushmore discussions like we have all the time. For Dan Marino, you didn't have that, right? Because even 48 touchdowns, it's the aggregation of it. There's no singular Touchdown pass that really stands out from that year, at least not to my mind. Mm -hmm. And that was when you know my love of football as a kid, and I was playing and running around and running amok. I mean, that was about as as high as I ever was as a involved and had to really. I do it for the job now. But as a kid, that's where the passion was really probably, you know, hitting its peak point uh, where I also knew I wasn't growing any taller. So my career uh, wasn't going anywhere further than that. Slow of foot and short, not exactly the combination of success, but like you were eating all that stuff up. But for Dan Marino, it was like, wow, I had another big game. And it'd be like, all right, there's the long throw, insert receiver here, and away you go. But here you had this indelible image etched to your brain that is part of NFL folklore.
2: This was a play that Bernie Kosar brought to the team. Kozar was the backup for Marino this year, and you've heard that story plenty of times, but it was great to hear Dan Marino talk about it following the passing of Don Shula earlier this year, and that it was basically, he said, listen, this game, we were down at halftime, and Shula allowed me to do my thing, so I don't know if that meant he called all the plays, but that's why he liked playing for Don Shula, because Shula, when it came down to it, would let his best players play. You know, they practiced it all season, they did everything else, but when it came to put up or shut up time for this play yes Marino did it but he didn't do it without Don Shula giving him the okay to do it Mm -hmm. it was Don Shula saying okay this is the time to break out this fake spike play and it was the perfect opportunity and you see the relationship that the two of them had where no matter what you have a guy that throws the football a ton and here's Don Shula who never who came up you know throwing the football is not something he did all the time but he knew enough this player is really really talented unlike many guys I've seen I'm going to let him do his thing. But in the end, it was still Marino going, I'm not going to go crazy and go completely off topic and ignore the coach. You tell me this is the time for this play. Okay, we're going to do this play.
3: Yeah, because also remember the start of this game. I mean, you go through the play by play. He was awful. Early. They didn't move the ball for anything. Uh the Jets dominated. Sorry, buddy. Uh which yeah, is why I'm yeah, gonna call yeah. them out in a minute. Uh but yeah, uh giving him like you're you're the quarterback, you go and and let's figure this out. And this one you're holding back, right? The annexation of Puerto Rico, uh, from Little Giants. Uh you wait for that perfect moment and then you pounce.
2: Mm.
3: And it's the Jets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. All right. So, you know, I feel better.
2: I, I got through that part of it, it was okay. Uh, it, it was okay I think okay. Just, You know you know Breaking down the fact The Jets really didn't relax On the play I mean I think that makes me Feel a little bit better A little bit better yeah tiny yeah. Bit.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah a tiny bit about it Look um, you gotta find your wins Where you can Even if they're little ones
2: But coming up next The staggering things That happened to both Of these teams And some of their stars As a result of this play at special teams With Jason Smith And Mike Harmon
1: Esiason gets picked off, throws his
2: first interception of the game, leads to another Mark Ingram touchdown, makes the game 24-21. They drive down deep again, and again, Boomer Esiason gets picked off. This puts the Dolphins in position for their famed fake spike drive. So now what happened to both of these teams and some of their big players following the fake spike game? Well, for the New York Jets... Things did not get any better. Boomer Esiason was never the same after this game. He lasted one more year, and he started 12 games going 2-10, and 10 and the Jets moved on, right? I think Boomer Esiason's career is over at this point, but he winds up back with Cincinnati. Three years later, and he starts five games after Jeff Blake gets hurt. You remember Jeff Blake when he came in suddenly? Jeff Blake, Oh, boy, yeah. Jeff Blake, he threw a great deep ball that felt like it hung up in the
3: air forever. You know, Blake, Back to the Carl Pickens day. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, dude, I had Carl Pickens in fantasy too, man. He was a star. Uh, so Blake, who was becoming a star quarterback out of East Carolina, he gets hurt. Okay. Esiason comes in, and in five games, he throws 13 touchdowns. Cincinnati's offense was great. They won four out of their last five. The Bengals wanted him back for two more years. I mean, this is suddenly here's Boomer Esiason's renaissance, and we got Boomer, we got Jeff Blake. Instead, he retired. His last play, a 79-yard touchdown to Darnay Scott to beat the Ravens 16-14, to And Boomer retired because he was the first of the can't-miss analysts in the National Football League. Boomer had done stuff for different networks, did some stuff for ESPN while he was playing. And it was, he's the next can't-miss guy, right? He's the next Jason Witten, Tony Romo. He's going to be a guy that comes in and is the next big broadcasting star. It took him a while. You know he got fired by ABC you heard stories he couldn't get along well with Al Michaels and now he's rebounded and now he's been hosting a morning show in New York for a long time CBS studio analyst he's been around and, and still continues is in the midst of a great broadcasting career but it took him a little bit he, he wasn't the can't miss kid off the go it was uh boomers got a little bit of rough going here but he was that first guy Mike that I remember talking about that and and seeing that he he was gonna be a star gonna go right from the game into the broadcast booth and the look when the broadcast booth Booth wants you and ABC wanted you. I could go back and play football, maybe start, maybe back up Jeff Blake. Maybe instead I would go right into the booth. I'm going to go into the booth.
3: Always strong on the mic. Uh, body had taken a beating. So, I mean, there's that, right? I mean, they had a, they had a good long run. And this was m- quarterbacks. Didn't have long careers like that. I mean, you've got outliers and certainly guys that played through injuries. Uh, but at some point, Boomer said, I- I'm done. But physically, mentally, he'd been to the mountain. And with that renaissance, you, you knew that was lightning in a bottle. Mm. And that got us a- that escape, man. That genie was out there. He did his three wishes <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> And and Boomer was smart enough to see that. I I know. I know. But the thing is, I mean, you have that kind of run 13
2: touchdowns, two picks, and the offense is great. You're rolling up again a couple of 40 point games in there. It's like, well, I'm going to keep playing a little bit. I still got it. I mean, the Jets thing didn't work, but I still got it. I can still throw the football.
3: I'm sure he's had those moments where he always wonders, what if, right? But physically, mentally, I mean, how many times do you talk to guys? and, And we see it all the time. The rumors, oh, he's thinking about retirement. All right, then he's already. He's already working that way, and for Boomer, maybe maybe he had that that epiphany of all right, see what I can do, take this last run, and then you go in while you're hot and a name, right? Because if he goes back to the to the Bengals and he scuffles and and now he's relegated to clipboard duty with Jeff Blake taking over again, I mean that's it. Right, Maybe that sizzle isn't there and that job doesn't come back. I mean, it's the Jay Cutler, Kristen Cavallari thing that, <laughs> that's playing out in the, in the press, man.
2: Uh, so that was it for Boomer. Like I said, he lasted a little bit longer and then moved on and had that great run at the end. Uh, for the Jets, well, I got a couple of stories that are so totally Jets for you. Uh, Pete Carroll calls the loss staggering. Right, The Jets collapsed <laughs> in December for the second straight year. They didn't win another game. They finished six and ten. They were six and five playing for first place. They lose five games to end the season to go six and ten. Pete Carroll gets fired. Wait, what are you doing? Nope. Pete Carroll gets fired because of that collapse and is replaced by Rich Kotite. Yeah, who also turns out to be one of the worst head coaches in the history of the NFL. Gave you the gift of Kotite, and here's here's why things are crazy. All right, Pete Carroll is replaced by Rich Kotite, who was the Eagles' head coach, but he was fired. But Leon Hess, Jets owner, hired Rich Kotite because he said, "I really start to desire more fun out of my football team." Like that was the exact quote. So he hires Rich Kotite. Carroll would have <laughs> lost the most games. To end the season at five, except for Rich Kotite, who lost seven straight to end the season as head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles and then got fired. So they fi- Pete Carroll lost five games in a row to end the season. That was no good. We want the guy that lost seven games in a row to end the season. Let's get that guy to come in to be our head coach. He lasts like two years. He was the absolute worst. Okay, he comes in. This is the year when they drafted <laughs> Kyle Brady over Warren Sapp. What are you oh, doing? Yeah. Jets fans are screaming for Warren Sapp. No, no, no. We're going to draft Kyle Brady when they had Johnny Mitchell, who was still a good tight end. Co-tight wins four games in two years. He was the absolute worst. At least there was light at the end of the tunnel because that's when they hire Bill Parcells after Cotite goes one in fifteen in nineteen ninety six. Which, oh by the way, we featured that season in more detail in a previous episode of Special Teams.
3: Rich Cotite.
2: Yeah, he was. No, that,
3: oh my goodness.
2: As bad as bad. things are, as bad as coaches are, tight was the. He was. He was terrible. He was the
3: worst. He got run out of Philadelphia. And and this is who we're going to hire to come in? It it goes back to the questions we ask in business, right, Mm -hmm. in our own personal businesses, whatever you do uh, out there listening, and we appreciate you taking the time with us here on special teams uh, and Jason and I on our our work at Fox Sports Radio. Uh, Whatever you do, you know the office politics, you know the games that are played, and sometimes guys just interview well or there's some conversation from years before and you're part of someone's framework of, Hey, if there's ever an opportunity, let's take the, the shot. And well, that's, that's what they did. And the Kyle Brady pick is the one uh, that, that stays there and always will be uh, coming out of Penn State. But yes, he, he frequently shows up as a top 10 pick in any of the worst tires across the big four sports.
2: They're all yelling, sap, 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 sap. They're all the Jets fans just screaming, sap, sap. Uh, tight end, Kyle Brady. It's, I mean, really, it goes back to the Mel Kuiper. It's clear to me the New York Jets have no idea what the NFL draft is all about.
3: That sounds about right.
2: Uh, now, what about the Miami Dolphins? Well, a couple of big things coming off this. First of all, what about hero Mark Ingram? It was his biggest moment since Super Bowl twenty-five. Very famous play when he gets through five Buffalo Bills defenders for a big first down in the Giants' touchdown drive to help him win the game. He retires from the NFL in 1996, and now he's known as Mark Ingram's father. However... It wasn't the end of drama for Mark Ingram. In 2008, he gets sentenced to seven years in prison for money laundering and fraud. He gets arrested when he doesn't turn up and turn himself in in Kentucky. Instead, he goes to the Sugar Bowl to watch his son in Alabama play Utah in a game that Alabama wound up losing. He wound up getting two extra years and got released from prison in 2015. He's a good dad, though.
3: Gonna turn yourself in? Nope. Going to the game. Uh, Okay. Not which is a, yeah, which expected, is a better okay. dad move, though. Turn yourself in and miss the game or show support for your son knowing that you won't see him except on Visitor's Day for two more years.
5: Oh,
2: that's a tough one. You know, I, I got to say, I, I don't know that I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about that. But I think no matter what, <laughs> I would come down to less prison time being worth whatever it is on the other side. I don't know if there's anything I would choose more prison time over. I, I don't think
3: I would. Money laundering. Mm. Where's my uh, AMC show on his life? <laughs> there he is, star of big time games, oh, Super Bowls, and he was in the uh, fake spike game <laughs> and all these other things. But
2: yeah, and Berman used to always say his name, Mark Ingram. He would always do that when he would make when he make that play and. You know, working at ESPN as I did in the mid '90s, I remember working on Fake Spike Day, and I'm like, "Oh, great! Now I got to live this every day. Everybody's gonna make fun of me." Is you know, he would do the Mark Ingram. That was a very big day for it because you know the guy had four touchdowns, mm-hmm. and you know the the funny thing is that. I never knew where that came from. And I said, why does he say Mark Ingram? All the other ones, you get it. Like Tim McDonald has the ball. Yeah, I get that. I get a lot of the the niggas. But I go, why Mark Ingram? And apparently there was a a radio guy in New York who was legendary for the, and I, I didn't listen to him. I think he was a talk guy. And his name was Dan Ingram. And he would always sign on and say, this is Dan Ingram. And so that's where, you know, Berman got that from. Mark Ingram all the time. It's like, okay, I don't get why he does that. But then I finally figured out why. And that was the answer. Well, there you
3: go. And knowing's half the battle.
2: Uh, For the Dolphins, the fake spike game saved their season. They won two of their last three to win the AFC East. Bernie Parmalee scores three touchdowns in Week 17. They beat Detroit. Then they go to the wild card game against the Kansas City Chiefs. They win the game, but this game is more famous because it was Joe Montana's Final game in the National Football League. Montana threw two touchdowns in the first half. They had a chance to win the game late, but Montana throws a goal line pick in the fourth quarter when they're down 10. And Marcus Allen fumbles in Miami territory later in the fourth quarter. Montana finishes 314, two touchdowns, two picks. Doesn't matter. Miami wins the game. They move on to the divisional playoff where they lose to San Diego. That ends their season. But this was Miami. Hey, things are okay. Marino was good. But that final game, you know, look, Montana and Marino, this big showdown, Montana's final game in the National Football League. Well,
3: wow, they sent him into retirement. Look at that. Sending him away. <laughs> I like that. Wow. That's uh, really, that, that's really brutal and vicious for Montana. No, it's pretty good, though. I mean, he had a good run, and he took up a lot of my Sunday afternoons when I wished I was watching other NFL teams. Uh, he and the Cowboys monopolized all post-Bears game uh, viewing for a young Mike Harmon, so there's some bitterness uh, that still lives there. But, yeah, I mean, we, we talk about Joe Montana, those final two years in KC, far more successful than they'll be remembered because you just think of the oddity of him not being a 49er. Right? It's it's one of those reality checks of what happened to those end-term 49er stars. is They all went and played somewhere else, many of them right across the bay. Also, you know, just extended their career one or two years somewhere else, as opposed to what was the norm of, ah, you played with one team if you were the star, and then you waved and went into a... Uh, representative ambassador role Nope, Montana <laughs> off to Casey
2: You know, and he's still this The second year he had with the Chiefs He still had a pretty good year He threw for over 3,000 yards And this is yeah. back when, you know, you throw for 3,000 yards That's a big deal you know, you start you know, th- throwing for you know 3,000 yards back then is like 4,000 yards now. Yeah. And, you know, he was still able to do it, but he clearly was not the same quarterback. He did a lot of injury uh, difficulties and he retires from the National Football League after this. You know, people forget, you know, when you think about the end of Montana, boy, it was Montana Marino was the final game in the NFL.
3: Yeah, I feel like I need to now just talk about where he is now uh, in that he does a lot of things about copper uh, and he's trying to sell you weed or at least make you understand about the benefits of marijuana.
2: Hey, everybody's got to find a way to make money. You know, Montana
3: had big paydays, but not like some of the guys getting out. No, no, no. You got to find and keep that money living, man. Money's got to be working as hard <laughs> as you are.
2: So that was the season and that was the Outcome of what happened because of the fake spike game for both teams in the National Football League. How about a little bit of where are they now?
0: Where
3: are they now? All right, you, you talked about the, the firing of Pete Carroll, man. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the domino effect uh, of Pete Carroll, right? You have the USC legend, then the... Seattle Seahawks run that continues uh, as you and I talk here heading into the 2020 season. Uh, All Based on the disaster that was uh, The fake spike uh, I, I'm going to end you with, end, end Your Boomer and Torture with two more data points oh, from gee, that, Thanks that you couldn't game, bring it up buddy. when you're talking about Boomer I thought we had turned the page No 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 I well because it's, it's the hammer uh, To bring it back you got James Saxon uh, He's working in the league As the running back coach for the Cardinals Bernie Parmalee as well uh, working for the Atlanta Falcons in the same capacity uh, Rob Moore over with the Titans As a wide receiver coach got to do that. A lot of coaches, uh, it seems, in this mix here. Muhammad Oliver, uh, his kid Isaiah is playing in Atlanta, so you got him. Uh, Aaron Craver, he doesn't do football, but he does track and field in Irvine, California. He holds the distinction of being the only player in NFL history to catch touchdown passes from Dan Marino and John Elway. Mm. Again, owing to that guys that just played one team. Now, Elway pouted and and was a petulant child. Uh, yeah, I said it. Uh, and got his way <laughs> to where he where he wanted in the NFL. Uh, he gets a pass. He and Eli have gotten pretty pretty nice passes along the way uh, for strong army. Uh, and then I wanted to highlight Nick Lowry. He had been cut 11 times by eight teams before going to Kansas City uh, in his career uh, and extending here. He was a Dartmouth grad. Uh, He was on Senate committees for commerce, science and transportation. (laughs) That was his parallel life with football was doing governmental work. And he still loves doing that type of research. So you have fun with that. All right, ready for my last uh, Boomer Esiason yeah, kick to uh, yes, kick to the uh, yes. Well, you pick. Just do uh, it. <laughs> all right, two fourth down plays that are very important here. First quarter, fourth and one from the one. Brian Hansen, delay of game. Lowry twenty four yard field goal. Second quarter, second play. Boomer Esiason pass to James Thornton, former Bears tight end. He can't get that yard. Smith turnover on downs no gain the tackle made by tim bowens i mean there's there's 14 points i mean he got the field goal all right so that's 11 points left up on the board buddy no fake spikes should have ever occurred i rest my case yeah but it's the jets i think it was inevitable I think no matter what, it would have happened. (laughs) The universe conspired. What is it, Groundhog Day? Just keep doing it. You get little learnings, but something still goes wrong. (laughs) Uh,
2: You know, and the thing is, just for a couple minutes to talk about Pete Carroll, because obviously you see the Hall of Fame career he has crafted. First, building the dynasty at USC, and now what he's done with the Seattle Seahawks. You know, the Jets fire him. He becomes a defensive coordinator, and, you know, he does pretty well for the next few years. And then the Patriots hire him as their head coach to succeed Bill Parcells. He got the Patriots into the playoffs his first year, but then they had a bad slide, and he got fired at the end of 1999. Bob Kraft has gone on record saying firing Pete Carroll was one of the toughest decisions he ever had to make since buying the team. So, you know, listen, Pete Carroll still had proven that I learned my lesson with the, with the Jets about certain things to do, not to do, and how to run a team, picked it up a little bit better the second time around with the, with the New England Patriots and then turns into a dynasty that he winds up building with USC and suddenly you think he's going to be there forever. So again, like Belichick and like some other guys, sometimes you fail that first job and you really have to hope you get lucky and get another one because if you don't, there could be Hall of Fame careers that we don't know about because guys started sure. out poorly first and they never got another chance. Because, look, would you have hired Pete Carroll after one year with the Jets and a big slide after being 6-5 and five and losing the fake spike? Game? No, you weren't able no, to rally your never team. going to happen,
3: right? You lost your locker room, or at least outside in, that's what we would be led to believe is that after a, a crushing loss, you guys weren't able to to rally, and it was your fault. Yeah, it was all their fault. It was all yeah, fault. all his fault, buddy. And then, as we yeah. know, the, the Wolves were knocking at the door at USC, and he bailed before that came down, uh, and then headed to Seattle. Yeah.
2: That's and then didn't happens.
3: give the ball to Marshawn Lynch. Otherwise, we're talking about him as the top five coach of all time. How yeah. about that? Jets legend. What's us Hall of Famer, Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. Jets Hall
2: right. of Famer, Pete Carroll. And look, let's be honest. Remember, the reason that the Patriots fired him is because they realized that Bill Belichick was going to be available and, hey, we're going to hire him and, you know, look yeah. what he's done. So you can't say it didn't turn out well for the Patriots. It was just, boy, Carroll did a pretty decent job that second time, too, and then it really clicked that third time around and... You know, just for that fake spike, maybe the Jets go eleven and five that year, and Carroll wins the Super Bowl, and suddenly wow. he's in his you know twenty sixth year as head
3: coach of the New York Jets. Well, you know, Bill Parcell, or I should say uh, Bill Belichick, is also a, a Jets Hall of Famer. True, there's lots. of I mean, people he was technically your Hall Hall of coach of for a minute. Oh, you know, and no, anybody that's, that's spent any time with the Jets, you
2: you earn that Hall of Fame badge. I'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You spent your time with the Jets, yeah. Okay, you're a Jets Hall of Famer. Or because that was a running joke. F- f-
3: as a jet. Yeah, that was a running joke for years with the Cubs, right? Is that at some point all these guys passed through Chicago, uh, but their fame and fortune and brilliance was somewhere else. You know, a lot of f- folks don't remember that Greg Maddox actually won the Cy Young before he left Chicago, <laughs> um, but they'll always just remember him as a brave. Here, Bill Belichick at least passed through the car wash that was the New York football Jets. <laughs> So that's our look back at one
2: of the most famous games and one of the most famous plays in NFL history, the fake spike game. I'm Jason Smith. He's Mike Harmon. Our show is heard Monday through Friday on Fox Sports Radio. Over 420 affiliates coast to coast, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. on the East Coast, 7 to 11 on the West Coast. You have an idea for a future episode of Special Teams? It better not involve the Jets unless they win. Uh, (laughs) Twitter at Fresca. Mike is at Swollen Dome. We'll talk to you next week. Before you go, rate and review the show. Whether you're listening on iHeartRadio, iHeartRadio apps, Apple, whatever it is. Give us a rate. Tell us you like it. We will love you forever and ever and ever. Special Teams is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and
0: Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card,
5: right this way, it's
0: nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with
1: Amex. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh?
0: Yep. You know what this playground could use?